The Athletic. It's the Totally Football Show. Happy return of Totally, everybody. So much has happened since our last show. Very little of it, admittedly, in Saturday night's England-Italy clash, but we will be talking about the big questions from the Nations League, from pizza topping to football not stopping. We'll also hail whales back in with the big fish, and we'll ask where Robert Lewandowski's going and where Raphael Honigstein's been for the last six months. All of that and much, much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Monday the 13th of June. Listen to the pod is back and back in the pod are Tom Williams, Duncan Alexander and the returning Raphael Honigstein. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Yeah, hi, James. Hi, nice. Raphael, it feels like it's been a while. Been up to much? I've seen starships burn on the edge of horizon. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you, you really have. You really have. What a what a six. What was it? Six months or so that you have been away on a special project. Yeah, yeah. special mission. Mission. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Okay. Well, maybe we'll touch on Rafa's kind of uh, day job. We can also touch on. Ayama Ohid, Tom. Wales going to the World Cup. I know, yeah. I mean, it's still still sinking in. I think everyone in Wales has been on a little cloud um, ever since that win over over Ukraine. Um, and yeah, I think back to Euro 2016, and as I have probably banged on enough about uh, over the years on this this podcast. When I was a kid, the only thing I wanted was to see Wales qualify for one tournament. Mm. If we'd lost every game at Euro 2016, I could have at least said, well, you know, that, that ambition has been ticked off. So for Wales to do what they did at Euro 2016 was the most ridiculous sort of wish fulfilment that you could have ever hoped for as a Wales fan. And then when they failed to qualify for the following World Cup, you thought, oh, well, you know, we had it pretty good in 2016. Maybe that's it. So to have since qualified for the most recent European Championship and got to the knockout rounds and now to be appearing at a first World Cup since 1958 is, um, yeah, is, is incredible. And there's, mm. you know, it's the, the, the key men remain the same. It's, it's still Gareth Bale's team. It's still Aaron Ramsey's team, you know, Joe Allen, Ben Davis. But apart from that, it's, it, it's a new team uh, and they play with such confidence. I think they probably play better football now than, you know, th- than they did even back in, Back in 2016, so yeah, really exciting time, and and and, and that song Amaru uh that, that David Iwan sings has has kind of become the the, the symbol um, of this team, and he um, he sung it on the pitch before and after the the Ukraine game, and it was this this really really powerful moment of unity. And, you know, we've already got the national anthem, which which you know which kind of. Uh, brings a tear to the eye anyway. So to have this kind of extra song on top of that is is pretty special. So yeah, um, really exciting. Crikey, yeah. You'll be sharing World Cup Group B with USA, Iran and England. Mm. Hey, we'll be talking about yeah. England very, there are, very there are, there are sexier World Cup groups, but I guess we probably shouldn't well, split hands, given, I mean, given how long we've been. That's rich yeah. with the narrative, no? USA, Iran, England and Wales. Woof. Okay. Uh, oh, Duncan Alexander, how did you do in the Opta Joe quiz? I was on holiday. I had no what? involvement. So, yeah. Wasn't there? I, didn't, I know BT Sport won it as per tradition, but other yeah. than that, do you know who came second, Duncan? 
I hear it was some little podcast called the Totally Football Show. A but, renegade um, band of rebels who took yeah. on the might of yeah, BT like Sport. The in the, yeah, in good the, work. Yeah. Solid. Yeah, Nick Miller was in there. Slasher. Uh, Sasha Gurionov, Charlie Jones, producer Charlie, and you yourself, Tom Williams, were in that as well, weren't you? It was indeed, yeah. It's very exciting. I mean, obviously, with the caveat that it's, you know, it's a little nerdy quiz for nerdy football journalists and football statos, but it's right. you've got all the big hitters there, that, you yeah. know, the, the, your who are the most famous names your there? Football associations is. Uh, do, you know, do you know who, who caused, like, the biggest kind of... Um, I don't know, collective raising of eyebrows was AFTV, Arsenal fan TV, uh, including that very angry, like, bald guy who seems to be screwing up his face and swearing about Tottenham. Um, He was there, as it was quite satisfying to to beat them. Um, And, yeah, narrowly missed out on on what would have been a, you know, I'm sure a a heartwarming, heartwarming success. Very much so. Could you just give us an appraisal of producer Charlie, very much the silent partner from the listener's point of view of of this production, but his level of expertise, Tom? Unparalleled. Absolutely smashed it out of the park. You know, captained the team, you know, gave the team talk, set out the tactical instructions, you know, very much our our pilot, our our guru, our, Mm. our, our spiritual leader. Um, and it was it was a real it was a real team effort. It was a very enjoyable evening, um, and uh, so close to up to quiz history. Right. In many ways, having producer Charlie relegated to producer role, while the rest of us talk football, mm. I'm trying to think of the end. Would it be like if Paul McCartney had been the sound engineers and and only that for the Beatles? Similar, mm. I think. I'm just thinking what this team could have achieved with James as uh, the producer involved. You know. <laughs> I mean the quiz. Oh, Rafa. <laughs> I went to Strongman since you're asking. That's what I got up to. But no, I can't tell you what happened. Except for that it was great, obviously. Maybe you read the piece in The Guardian. Not yet. Oh, it's, it's on my piece. reading list. There you go. Yeah, book, yeah. bookmarked it. Yeah. Uh, good. All right. And there was football, listener. Uh, let's see. Nations League. Nations League. Have you all been enjoying that? Rafa? I, I did watch. I did watch a couple of games for professional reasons. Right. I I, I do enjoy it. I mean, it, it is obviously a glorified friendly or glorified friendlies, and you get very random results because half of the team don't want to be there. The other half are, are trying to to do something. Individual players have reasons to play well. Others less so. It's all a bit of a a mishmash, mm. but. Yeah, it's still better than nothing, I'd say. All right, you're really selling parts one and two of today's <laughs> podcast for the the listener there. We have to be, we have to be honest. We do. It feels like version one of the Nations League was really good and really enjoyable, but that right. was pre-pandemic, and now. Well, that was been... also when it was just three teams in a group, Duncan, and then they expanded it as they well, yeah, but to do. Wasn't that slightly because a few big teams finished bottom of their three-team group, and they were like, "Hey, how about four teams? That sounds better." Um, <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, but it's, I mean, this is the first time England have played or will have played um, four games in 10 days since 1997, only the 12th time ever. And it doesn't, after the season or two or three seasons we've just gone through, it doesn't really feel mm. like that's sensible. But Right. Well. I mean, the Nations League is a, is a, is a good thing. Um, I would far rather watch 
Nations League matches, you know, competitive matches between evenly matched teams than, you know, dreary old friendlies. The, the problem yeah, is with this, have this, 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 well, yeah, it, it's this specific set of fixtures tacked on at the end of what has already been a very long season. Teams having to play four times in, like you say, 10 or 11 days, having to endlessly rotate. They, they feel meaningless. And, and like people are kind of, you know, using that as a bit of a stick to, to beat the, the Nations League with. I think it's mm. unfortunate that these games have had to be condensed into this very short time frame. But the Nations League itself, I, I still think, is a, a force for good. Well, listen, a few people are as well-placed to discuss uh, professionals going through the motions at the end of a long season than us. So uh, let us discuss the uh, Nations League results that matter, starting with... England, Italy, nil-nil. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Duncan, you were mentioning big teams bottom of the group getting relegated. That's currently the situation even with the expanded group stages with France, the current Nations League title holders, bottom of their group. uh, With uh, Is it Denmark atop of their group? And of course England in a similarly precarious position with two matches to go after their nil-nil draw with Italy. Duncan, you're a designated England fan. What did you make of it? Um, well, A, on that first point, it might be time to expand the Nations League to five-team <laughs> groups, I think. Um, really feels like it's crying out for that. Uh, yeah, the game itself was obviously held behind inverted commas closed doors due to the incidents uh, in the Euro 2020 final, but it wasn't closed doors. This, this new loophole, which I, no one saw coming, which allowed Hungary to have half full stadium, um, 3,000 West Midlands children shouting. It gave it the kind of the vibe of a, a schoolboy international, um, mm. which I went to once when I was in the Cubs back in the day. Indeed um, you did. Mm. The sound, um, I mean, watching on TV, it sounded much like you were outside of swimming baths when there was, you know, mm, the school mm. had that kind of echoey children shrieking vibe to it. Um, I don't know how much the absence of a full stadium influenced the lack of intensity on, on the field. Uh, would there, were there any, any conclusions you'd like to draw from the performance, the lack of goal scoring, etc.? Well, I think both teams created some reasonable chances. So, you know, nil-nil probably slightly un, unreflective. Both teams have had over a 1xG. But England did look slightly toothless at the same time and, you know, were forced to bring on Harry Kane at the end, which is a is an increasing concern, really. I mean, they are incredibly reliant on, on Kane for goals. And if they do want to go far in the World Cup, I mean, if you look at Germany in 2014, had eight goal scorers. Italy, famously, in 2006, had 10 different goal scorers. Um, all right, Spain had three in, in 2010, but, um, you know, that was down to a very good defence. Is England's defence now as good as Spain's in 2010? I would uh, suggest not. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's, as we were saying earlier, I don't think you really can, you know, draw many conclusions from these games, because as, as Raf was saying, like, some players really are going through the motions. I mean, it, it just feels a little bit of a, a strange addendum to the season, but um, I guess that the, the last games again at Molyneux, uh, at home to Hungary and with a, you know, non-swimming pool-based crowd. So hopefully that will uh, end the end the mini campaign in a, in a bit more of a, a normal fashion. I mean, there has been this focus on England not successfully spreading the goals around and, and being very dependent on on Harry Kane and to a slightly lesser extent Raheem Sterling. But they're they're not unique in that. If you look at some of the other major 
national teams at the moment, Italy, Spain, Portugal, the Netherlands, don't really spread the goals around. You know, no. Portugal what? very reliant on Ronaldo's goals, the Netherlands very reliant on Memphis Depay's goals. And I think that's probably a reflection of the fact that because so many teams play with only one centre forward these days, you're not going to have multiple players with sort of, you know, 20, 30 plus goals. And it also depends on where a, a team is in their evolution. And this remains a relatively young England team. I, so I don't see that Kane dependence as necessarily being a being a major issue. But yeah, when you look throughout the squad, there are there are players there who, who probably could be getting a few more goals. Mm. Italy not, not doing much in the way of goals at all. They're just 10 in their last 10 fixtures. Now, I don't think any of those have come from centre forwards. They've come from other areas. Uh, Italy who will be playing Germany in their next Nations League game. Uh, Germany, who are unbeaten under Hansi Flick, Rafa? Unbeaten or winless, question well, mark. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, they've drawn the last uh, three games in the Nations League all 1-1. A little bit unconvincing. I don't want to read too much into it. I think it's a similar situation with England. You know that these games are not really that relevant for, for the World Cup. A lot of players do look as if they'd rather be somewhere else, but... I think we're a bit surprised because on that Hansi Flick, we saw this wave of euphoria, a lot of goodwill, both within the camp and from outside, uh, a sense of Germany going, getting back to be- their best. And I, I thought we, we might see that reflected in the results and the performances, certainly against the likes of uh, Hungary and a, and, a, and a very reshuffled Italy side. I think we, we thought Germany might be too strong. But their problem is that their main goal scorer isn't a goal scorer. That's even worse than relying on Harry Kane because they're relying on Timo Werner and Timo Werner doesn't look like scoring at the moment. Um, so that makes it that makes it very difficult. You lack that cutting edge. It's the same problem that Germany have had now for many years. Miroslav Klose came back to be a huge factor in 2014, but you don't see really any orthodox number nine being in a position to do so for November. So Germany will have to find another way. Mm. Tuesday night against Italy. It was 1-1 last time the two teams faced each other. As you said, it's a very reshuffled Italy team. The Italian media were hugely happy, actually, with the 0-0 uh, at Molyneux. They felt they played better. And, and also the fact that it was this completely rejigged team, that part of uh, Mancini's total reshuffle of the side since, uh, well, since the finalissima with Argentina, nine new faces coming in and, and, and by and large doing well. I mean, particular love for um, for Federico Gatti and uh, Wilfred Gnonto as well. Um, but yes, yeah, so we'll see how that, that goes on Tuesday. Striking um, shade of blue, this new Italy yeah, kit, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice. One of the, one well, of the lighter, one of the light, mm. I, I mean, I, I quite like it, but it almost, it's, almost um, turquoise. It's very really? Wick and Wonders, isn't it? It's Wick got, and it's Wonders, yeah. 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 So I might buy it. Probably won't. Duncan, while Italy uh, visit Germany, uh, Munch and Gladbach, I think, uh, for Tuesday's fixture against Hansi Flick's side, England will be hosting Hungary again at Molyneux, but this time with a mm. full roar of a West Midlands crowd behind them. What are your thoughts? Well, we're talking about goal scoring, and it's kind of apt that they're playing at Molyneux because I think... If you think back to 1990, the England had to call up Steve Ball, didn't they, from the second division? Only just come in there from the third division because of a lack of goal-scoring options, mm. um, and very nearly got to the uh, to the World Cup final. So maybe that's a, a haunting preview of what's going to happen later this right. year. But um, I mean, I think the, the team selection will come down to whether England do actually care about finishing bottom of the of the table I think and I think if they go full strength then yeah they're going to try and beat Hungary and claw the way up but 
Um, yeah, I could see maybe Jared Bowen getting a start. Perhaps he's he's looked okay in the, in the games in this spell, but he has had sort of a frustrating kind of mid nineties tendency to run with the ball in a straight line and get tackled when he's been in quite good positions. And there was a few kind of a few frustrated teammates I've seen um, in some of the games. But um, yeah, we'll see. But well, we've seen how well Hungary have played because I think they're one of the teams that actually do want to do well in this in this competition and it means a lot to them and the players are really motivated the crowd are really up for it and they've held they've held Germany they beat England and it's a little bit symptomatic of of some other teams of that sort of ilk who tend to do better than anticipated in the in the Nations League as some of the big hitters like France like Germany and England are yet to register three points Mm. Biggest England England Hungary story, of course. There was uh, Harry Kane's pizza topping choice. Did uh, I missed that one? Yeah, I missed it too. Was I it goulash? Yeah, I was, I was wondering if anybody had a definitive word. Let's go to producer Charlie. Producer Charlie, what was Harry Kane's answer when asked about what his favourite pizza topping was ahead of England Italy? Pepperoni. Just pepperoni. Pepperoni pizza. Yeah, that's my kind of uh, that's my cheat meal. All right, pepperoni. Duncan, you expected cheese, no? No, that's a really poor pun. Let's move ex, on. Ex brie, you mean? Ex brie. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend putting brie on a pizza. It's absolute carnage. But um, it has been very much the summer of pizza topping related content because the oh, Giro yeah? d'Italia um, this year, uh, Matthew van der Poel, the the Dutch cyclist, uh, said pineapple was one of his favourite pizza toppings, which obviously caused widespread outrage in Italy. Um, but then people started running alongside the riders, waving pineapples in their face. So um, right. I'm not saying that that 2022 is struggling for content, but most of it is down to pizzas. So yeah, excellent. We ourselves will be doing our own pizza topping discussion in part three, listeners. So make sure you <laughs> stay with us for that. Uh, next up, though, if we can't hear about England doing well, let's hear about France doing badly. Place your bets. Welcome to Pep Roulette. Charlotte, feeling confident today, me. And your selection? Just start up front. Blue number nine and 26. Uh, 17 as well, just behind the front two, like. Excellent. Good luck. Blue number seven. Unlucky, sir. Oh, Sterling, he started last week. Predicting Pep's lineups is hard, but fortunately, we've made our bet builder easy. Simply choose a top pre built bet builder, click add to bet slip, select your stake, and done. Paddy Power. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Tom Williams, Wales, you quite modestly failed to mention, held the number two ranked team in the world, Belgium, to a draw in Cardiff on Saturday night. How about that? And how about the assist for... Uh, Nottingham Forest, Brennan Johnson's uh, goal uh, from Aaron Ramsey. Oh, my word. 
Woof and double woof. Mm. Yeah. Um, so Wales had annoyingly dropped points late on in each of their first two Nations League games. Went ahead away to Poland with a weakened team. This is just before the playoff final against Ukraine. Um, so put out a second string team. Went 1-0 up away to Poland. Ended up losing 2-1. Uh, two late goals. At home to Netherlands. Went behind, equalised in the 92nd minute, and they conceded uh, a Weghorst header in the 94th minute. Hmm. So two really disappointing results to to kick off with. Um, And then were trailing against Belgium, against whom Wales have got a really good recent record. And then, yeah, Aaron Ramsey surges into space on the edge of the box, kind of loses his footing, and then decides to, to do this remarkable sort of pirouette Cruyff flick into the path of, of Brennan Johnson, who's had a fantastic season for Nottingham Forest and obviously will be playing in the in the Premier League next season and who looks like he's he's really on the verge of, of breaking into the into this Wales team uh, definitively. Um, and Wales end up getting, you know, like you say, a really creditable draw. I think had it not been for those defeats against Poland and and the Netherlands, that would look like an even better result. Um, but yes, uh, a, a positive end to the game uh, for once right. uh, yeah. in this in this uh, you know this round of Nations League fixtures. Still bottom of the group ahead of Tuesday's big clash away at Netherlands. France on Monday night going to be hosting Croatia. As I mentioned, they are France, currently bottom of their group, held to a draw on Friday by Ralph Rangnick's Austria, to give them their current denomination. Uh, Kylian Mbappe coming off the bench to rescue a point against Ralph Rangnick's Austria. Rafa, the Ralph Rangnick effect, spreading... Gold dust wherever he goes. Yeah, I'm just happy he's 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 happy. I'm happy he's happy, and I'm also happy clearly that, that you're happy. I mean, you are a lovely chap. I mean, he seems like a nice chap, a, a, a nice man in difficult circumstances. For for listeners who who didn't perhaps read the kind of sidebar in in one of the tabloids over the last six months, Rafa has been away doing a very very special and exciting project. You were working with Ralph in his. Um, how would I describe? His interim manager capacity? I suppose, yeah. That was the yeah. official title. Right. How was that as an experience? It was uh, hugely educational. Right. James working on the other side, looking behind the curtain. Um, what did you see? I see things that no man should see. You <laughs> um, <laughs> weren't just behind the curtain, but you were at, behind the curtain of Manchester United last season. I mean, good Lord. Yeah, no, it was it was very very interesting to to witness how it looks from from a very different vantage point mm. um, to to work with Ralph. Obviously, not the season that never he nor the club wanted, but um, yeah, for me personally, it was a, a really really great experience, and I would immediately do it again just to to work within the club and yet yeah, I've learned so many things about how football works how the media works. It was really great. Mm, that's good. What do you think Ralph learned about things? What do you think his big takeaways are? Uh, there's a few things. I think most importantly, perhaps the value of a team that he fully trusts in terms of the coaching staff. Mm. Um, because of Brexit and some issues around the length of his contract, which was only six months, as you know, it was hard for him, I think, to surround themselves with the people that he 
had worked with before that he fully trusted that were integral to a lot of stuff that he did and he ended up making appointments sort of out of necessity but perhaps not quite uh, the people that really could have helped him in, in a more sustained way and when he talked to, to me about it, the, the problems he had taking this, bringing these people in, I, I thought maybe I underestimated just how important it is for coaches to have really strong number twos, number threes. I thought, you know, you're, you're a good coach. You can surely work with whoever is there putting the cones out. But I think it goes a lot deeper than that. And that's one of the things I think that he he knew before, but perhaps now will even pay more attention to in the future. Mm. But, I mean, the impression from the outside certainly was from this side of the curtain was that you could have brought in anyone as his assistant and that situation was just doomed to be a, a total cluster mess. Well, it's difficult to, to you know, not judge it in hindsight. I think there is a, there's a chance with, with a stronger coaching staff around him, one or two additions maybe in a January window where I think United had a chance to strengthen and, and didn't take it. Um, they win three more games or four more games. And that's all it takes to make top four and everyone's really, really happy. But obviously it wasn't nearly good enough for United's requirements and that's why everyone's hoping that there'll be a sustained improvement under under new management. But I think there'll be the same challenges to a certain extent because the, the squad needs major surgery. I don't think it's any any big news that I'm breaking here to say no. that uh, they're, they're real issues to solve. Was it, can I ask what was it a surprise that the association terminated at the end of the season? Because the kind of line was that one of the reasons that United had gone with Ralph Rangnick was that he was going to be able to offer not just short-term help but a longer-term vision. And instead, we ended up with these bizarre scenes of Eric Ten Hag being in the crowd and Ralph saying, "I didn't know that he was even here, and I've not spoken to him or anything." So it just became completely kind of sidelined to the, the whole the whole planning for the club. <laughs> Yes, that's true. And I think United's line was always, you know, we don't want him to think about anything apart from coaching the first team while he's the coach. And then there was an assumption that this would then turn into this consultancy agreement. I think a lot of people had had a misconception of what that agreement would have looked like because a consultant, by definition, is not full-time. Otherwise, he'd be a full-time employee. Is somebody who just offers a bit of advice and is sort of at core for a certain amount of time and you can then listen to him if you want to or don't. I think what became clear is that um, both Ralph and United felt that maybe with you know Ten Hag coming in and with the club being a rebuilding process and Ralph taking this new role with Austria and this was all happening after he initially agreed to be a consultant, maybe the the vision or, or the idea of going forward wasn't quite as, as well-defined as it could have been mm. and it was perhaps a more natural conclusion to say you know what we've tried this it didn't quite work out let's just go on very amicable terms rather than having you sort of with one foot still in the club but also mm. coaching Austria I think it would have been doable right. but perhaps not straightforward yeah obviously with the Austria Austria business. were there good times as well Rafa there were a few good times James there were a few Good results, good performances, not as many as we wanted. But I really enjoyed going with the club to see um, the away game at Atletico Madrid. I was mm. watching it with the United employees. And mm. you got a sense that there are a lot of people working there whose 
whose whole not just livelihood but whole sort of emotional well-being is very much tied up with what the club do and what the team do and this is one of the experiences that was very interesting to me because as a supporter you want your team to win you're down when you actually work for the club the result affects everything you know the result affects the mood of six seven hundred people who have very little influence if none on what happens but still will come to work on Monday feeling very bad and feeling worried about their future and feeling mm-hmm. repercussions coming. And that night, you saw both sides. You saw United really struggling to play well and everybody was very sort of shocked about the performance. But then they scored and there was a real sense of, you know, hooray, this might still work out a great season. So it was a very emotional moment and uh, it showed me that a lot of really good people working at United that you don't see, you know, the people that uh, in the, in the background, there's a lot of real genuine heartfelt supportership and and loyalty at this club you might not want to comment on this Raf, but i'm going to ask you mischievously nonetheless there was a lot of talk over the closing weeks of the season about the toxic atmosphere within the united changing room do you did you have any sense of of that or, or anything that you can kind of tell us about about um you know the the mood in the camp I think it'd be probably a miss for me to betray the confidence of, of of Ralph and a few others to talk too much about it. But what I will say is that these reports don't exist in a vacuum. And I think when you have a breakdown of performances to the extent that we saw under Oligunasosha, the tail end of Oligunasosha, when you had five defeats in what was it, seven games and a sense of total meltdown. From the outside, it looks as if, oh, you know, the players have given up on on the coach or he doesn't know what he's doing. But this really was, I think, um, a sign of a much deeper malaise of a a team not being at at peace with itself. And ultimately, I think that was one of the reasons why any bounce or any improvement was not strong enough to really carry United to to where they wanted to be. Mm. All right, Raf. By the way, who did Raf Randick want to bring in as his kind of press spokesman, but was unable to because of the Brexit rules? <laughs> Some really guy, great guy from Germany. Yeah, I mean, what a difference that would have made having him spin the whole experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Raf. We'll put that to the side. Unless, unless Duncan, you got any questions for our man on the inside at Old Trafford? Just, I mean. Cristiano Ronaldo once said he saw Paul Scholes hit a tree in training. Did you see him try and uh, even that up at any point? Unfortunately, it's one of my big regrets that I was not able to go to Carrington because of the uh, COVID regulations. Um, I couldn't watch training. So my knowledge very much secondhand of events. I did not hear about any trees being hit. Um, I'm sorry to say. The mystery goes on. Yeah. Mm. All right. Let's know there's World Cup qualifiers taking place on Monday and Tuesday in that Qatar where they're going to hold a World Cup later this year. It's really, really hot at the moment. Weather reports yeah, so suggest. hot they can't hold a World Cup there, right? So... Yeah, that's correct. But they are having the World Cup qualifiers there. Australia, who know a thing or two about heat, of course, taking on Peru. Uh, that's they're do- Monday doing night. it in the, um, one of the air-conditioned stadiums, but the, but they'll, have the, uh, they'll have the blowers on Okay. for that one. All right. And New Zealand, meanwhile, are going to be up against Costa Rica. What do you know about the ventilation for that fixture, Tom? I imagine it will be the same, but I will check and confirm. 
Those are two mighty matches, though, aren't they? I mean, the, the, the World Cup fates of four nations resting on those those mm. two games. Crikey. Looking forward to Top Thursday's quiz champions, New Zealand, obviously the only team in the 2010 World Cup who didn't lose in the whole tournament. So. Indeed. Just imagine if we had Turkey play Peru. Because that Peru means Turkey. Well, there's a big controversy at the moment. Oh. That Turkey want to change the international name from Turkey into Tukie. Right. Because they are fed up with being identified with the bird. Right. And but, you uh, mentioned in other Peru. countries, yep. yes. Yep. In Spanish and uh, Portuguese. Portuguese, I think. Mm. Yep. Um, the Peru. bird is identified as Peru. Yeah. Because they think it's come from Peru. And there's other places where it's called Indian. Is that right? It's from India. Yeah. Wow. I'm the same with whales and the gigantic mammals, whales. So. Yeah. Every, every now and again, got... every now and again, it's not clear whether someone's talking about the country or the uh, enormous, involved in some the enormous uh, sea dwelling. Aqu- Gareth Aquatic. Bale has saved whales once again. <laughs> what on a boat? <laughs> on a beach? I don't know. Uh, um, yeah, can have... confirm that New Zealand and Costa Rica is, yep. will also be played with the blowers on. With the blowers on. Excellent. For, for conditioning fans. Mm. Well, uh, up next. We're going to be uh, bringing you an exciting-looking part three in which we discuss a big anniversary and talk about some of the transfer tittle-tattle that's been heating up the headlines. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. With Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Think of it as your protection against Arsenal doing an Arsenal. And in the words of Jennifer Aniston, here comes the science bit. Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet is £10. Enhanced match odds are not included. Online exclusives only. T's and C's apply. And please be gambleaware.org. 
Y ahora vamos por el cuarto y último del tanteo español, cuya perfecta ejecución corresponde al gran Héctor Real. El Madrid está ya aupado en el primer campeonato europeo de fútbol. 13th of June, listener, as you're all too aware. On this day in 1956, what happened? Why, the first ever European Cup final happened. And who was it between? Anyone? Real Madrid and Haas. Rats. Rats. A great Haas team of the of the late 1950s. Was it a great Rats team? It was. It was. I mean, the the first great post-war French team, uh, you know, spearheaded by Raymond Coppa, uh, who who joined Real Madrid shortly after playing in this fixture um, mm. and went on to become one of their greatest players, won three European Cups. Wow, there you go. Well, uh, Rats erased to a two-goal lead in this game, but uh, Real came back. To win 4-3, pick up the first of their 14 European crowns. Of course, they won the first five European Cup finals. Extraordinary. De Stefano scored. He scored in, of course, each of those finals. He was, intriguingly, the only non-Spanish or French player on the pitch. Was it another world, Duncan? Yes. Yes, it was. Rance, for example, had only reached the final by beating Hibbs in the semi. And Hibs had only taken part, they'd finished fifth in Scotland that previous season, because Champions Aberdeen refused to take part because they didn't have floodlights, Aberdeen. And they felt that other teams having floodlights made the competition unfair. Yeah. I mean, it is a disadvantage to play um, night games without <laughs> floodlights when other teams are playing them with floodlights. You, you can kind of see where they're coming from. Would have been a great experiment, though. No. Yeah. It was great watching the highlights on, on YouTube where you can yeah. very clearly see that they sliced in footage of a crowd that is not yes. real, the real crowd yeah. um, celebrating, uh, looking very sort of fake. Yeah, mm. I mean, it's a bit like Escape to Victory or similar. You know, they yeah. spliced in, yeah. It also had that really annoying 1950s thing of every goal, pretty much they cut to a shot from behind the goal, so you get no perspective on how it was. It's just suddenly, oh, look, the ball's in the net. Um, but I did think actually because you can often watch games from that era and the football does look a little bit rudimentary but particularly Real Madrid some of their goals were very well constructed a couple of really nice sort of off the ball runs and through balls so mm. yeah I've, I'm coming round to 1950s football OK mm. there were no English representatives in the European Cup uh, Chelsea the champions were pressured by the Football League to not take part because it might be a distraction to their domestic Duties. There was, however, English presence in the final in the shape of the referee Arthur Ellis, later famous as the, uh, I mean, the, 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 ma the man in black at It's a Knockout, of course. Also, one of the linesmen was Tommy Cooper, although disappointingly not that <laughs> Tommy Cooper. Uh, Tom, uh, Real Madrid winning a European title in Paris uh, is obviously quite a topical subject after the recent European Cup final, but the fallout from all of that. Where are we at with that now? And Rafa, I know you went to this game and you actually got in. <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so there was um, a, a French government report that uh, was released last week which laid the, the blame fairly squarely at the door of uh, the, the French police and that the French authorities, uh, Didier Lallemand, who was um, the, the chief of police in Paris, uh, appeared before the French Senate last week and, and made some concessions in terms of organisational failings, but in a way that suggested he didn't really think that it, it should all be, be put on him. And then there have been these extraordinary revelations that the CCTV footage outside the ground 
and the CCTV footage in the metro stations uh, was deleted um, because in both cases that footage is automatically deleted after seven days unless there is a judicial request to uh, gain access to it. And despite the international focus on this game and specifically on the issue of the numbers of fans arriving outside the ground and the numbers of ticketless fans, um, both those types of footage were allowed to be uh, deleted. There is footage from the RER stations, uh, so it's a different network to the to the Paris Metro. That footage was not deleted uh, because the people who sort of manage it realise that, hmm, I suspect someone might want to see this at some point. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the... the the more the more time advances that the more we hear about it the more this pathetic explanation uh, that the french interior minister gerard darmanin uh, is clinging on to um, is being exposed for the tissue of lies that it is it is remarkable that that there hasn't been a, a, you know a full and frank mea culpa um, because I, I think everyone knows you know what happened um, and that it wasn't because 30 to 40,000 ticketless fans suddenly arrived outside the ground and, and tried to rush the gates I mean it's it's a total nonsense uh, and, and a lot of this speaks to long-standing problems that, that France has had when it comes to policing football supporters crowd management I wrote a big piece about this for the Athletic last week if anyone's interested in you know some of the background on that and you know, speaking to people who work with, you know, with fan organisations in France, this is kind of the tip of the iceberg. This has been going on for ages. You know, the way that, that, that France treats, marshals its its football supporters is, is disgraceful. Um, and, you know, there were recommendations in this uh, governmental report that came out last week about how to you know, how, how to improve things. So, it, it, you know, probably no great consolation for the Liverpool fans and the Real Madrid fans and the journalists and everyone else who were caught up in, in what happened outside Stade de France. But hopefully, from a French perspective, this will be a kind of watershed moment and they'll learn from, you know, the, the many, many, many mistakes they made um, in the way they organised that game. Yeah, terrible scenes, and particularly given the associations of the club uh, involved. Uh, anyway, but good to know that some light now being shed after the uh, tissue of lies uh, spread post the event. Anyway, uh, now, also happening this week, we've got transfer market stuff all over the shop. I believe that even as we speak, Erling Haaland is being announced by Manchester City. Is that correct? Ooh, they kept that quiet. It's come out of nowhere. Erling Haaland, who was playing, I believe, in the Bundesliga. Perhaps Raph has a view on him. Also set to be confirmed according to the aforementioned athletic.com is uh, Darwin Nunes moving from Benfica to Liverpool. Could be worth as much as 100 million euros. Crikey. Throw the floor open to anyone who wants to talk about that. Frankie de Jong potentially going to join Man United. Uh, Whether Bayern are going to buy Sadio Mane. Rafa? And also, speaking of Bayern, what's what's going on with Robert Lewandowski, Rafa? Well, he wants he wants out, not for the first time. Uh, when he signed in 2014, I think there's been out of eight years, probably four of those, five of those he wanted away or, or flirted with with going. What? Why? Because um, his big dream is to go to Real Madrid. Oh yeah. Um, it might be revised um, in due course. To going to Paris Saint Germain, uh, I think it's more Barcelona still likely. Really? But um, they 
they've offered a, a three-year deal for a player who is uh, the wrong side of 30. Bayern had offered one-year extension beyond 2023. And I don't think there's any harm or any problem in him saying he wants to go. It's just uh, he's gone about it in a very sort of old-fashioned way, kind of putting pressure on the club, publicly saying something is broken, something's died, I want to leave. And I think that's almost put Bayern in a position where they feel they have to show strength and not sell him. Mm. It was a similar case with Dortmund, who found themselves with a Lewandowski who had agreed to sign for Bayern a year in advance of his contract uh, ending and deciding that uh, they want to keep him rather than look weak. Also, they weren't helped by the fact that Bayern never really put in a serious offer. Um, at the moment, Barcelona's offer is, is way below Bayern's valuation. Bayern feel that they might have to draw a line in the sand and, and keep him for another year if, if necessary, um, thinking that once the season kicks off again in August, any anger or disappointment will dissipate and the professionalism kicks in as it always does with him. Like Harry Kane at Spurs, that would be yeah, yeah, especially with the World Cup coming up, etc. And Paul and I at the World Cup, so he'll, he'll want oh. to do well. But at the same time, there's real resentment inside the dressing room about uh, Lewandowski's antics and he's been very selfish in his body language, in his demeanour. And there's a lot of players who I think would be quite happy if he were to leave in the summer. Ooh. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a straightforward situation. I see. Uh, I will ask you to what extent their moves for Sadio Mane are contingent on Lewandowski's departure or, or otherwise. But Duncan, first of all, can you offer any fun facts, stroke statistics about Lewandowski's extraordinary performances for... For Bayern Munich? Uh, he's the only player in Bundesliga history to score more goals than his team conceded while he was there, which is reasonable uh, output, should we say. Wait, so the number of goals conceded while he's on the pitch is fewer than the number of goals that he scored? Yeah, which is effective, I think it's called in yeah. the game. Um, he said something has died in me. I mean, I think a lot of people felt the same when they saw his TikTok, so it's, you know... What goes around comes around a little bit. But, yeah, it does feel like that transfer will then unlock a lot of other transfers, doesn't it? Really? What else will it unlock? The Sadio Mane, you feel? Yeah, Sadio Mane. Um, obviously, as you said, Nunes is now pretty much nailed on for Liverpool. So mm. we're in a strange situation where it's quite apt, I guess, that someone called Darwin completes the evolution of Liverpool's front three. But, um, you know, they could... They could <laughs> don't, don't, sorry. They could line up next season with a front three of, of Jota... Uh, Luis Diaz and Nunes, which you know is that is that's yeah. all new, and it's, it's been done in a in a pretty efficient way. It's, mm. you know, clubs can take a long time to replace even single bits of their machine, and that is that is good work, I think, from Liverpool. Very much so, very much so. Rafa, you saw quite a bit of Darwin Nunes for Benfica, didn't you? Did you? Yeah, uh, yeah, I did uh, in the uh, goals show, James, mm. and uh, he looked very exciting, very good. Of course, um, the occasion for one or two last name puns did arise as well, mm. um, but we we don't really go there uh, on this show or on the BT show, of course. Um, he looked a little bit raw still, right? I think it's fair to say. Um, tremendous pace, uh, very electric kind of player, but I think it's 
first of all, it's very difficult to judge somebody who you see, you know, three or four times a season. I'm sure that Liverpool scouts um, would have done the due diligence. And perhaps more importantly, they have shown in recent years that they get it right so many times that even if you, as a layman, harbour one or two doubts whether he really is worth all the money or is as good a player as, as they want him to be, it's it's hard not to dismiss them and to say, well, these players tend to go to another level or two once they arrive and once they play with these players in the system with this manager. And I didn't expect Diego Jota to, to be the Jota that we see now. I didn't expect Roberto Firmino to be like that. Mohamed Salah, you know, when he left Roma, yes, good player, but not world-class necessarily. And the list goes on. So if they're anywhere near that same hit rate with him, then I think there's a big reason to be very excited if you're a Liverpool supporter. Well, indeed. And if it's last name puns you're after with Darwin Nunes, then uh, given that he's had three surgeries on his knees already at 22, then Darwin Nunes, that would be... I'll just offer that up there. Just book that for next season. Tom? Yeah, I I personally sort of wrote uh, Nunez off quite quickly on the basis... Nunez, sorry, James. On the basis that he has a ponytail and he's quite tall, which I just didn't think was a great combo. And that shows how much I know. That's why I'm not a professional scout. Okay. Ponytail players? No? Great ponytail, great football. Well, you're Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale surely is. It's more of a that's more of a top knot though. Okay, Ibra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say I want to say that Lewandowski. They're on loads though, are they? Andy Carroll, another excellent (laughs) Liverpool signer. (laughs) It's very much a lanky centre forward thing, isn't it? Now you think of it, Mm. like ponytail rather than man bun. Yeah. Obviously, different leagues, different players, different systems. But the the Nunes and Haaland stats last year are very, very similar. Like their XG is almost identical. Their minutes per goal is very similar. Obviously, Haaland's shooting from closer in a little bit, but it does open up this kind of you know if we needed another angle to the Liverpool Man City kind of rivalry. Now they've both got these big, expensive uh, name strikers coming in, and and you do wonder which one, as Raf was saying, it feels like maybe. Liverpool possibly is an easy team to adapt to quicker, so maybe maybe Nunes will be, you know, will hit the ground running faster than than Haaland, but that could. And be I mean, there aren't well. there aren't enough debates, are there, about which player is, is better than which other player on Twitter? So it's you know it's nah. good to it's good to have another one. I look Feels like there's a real real shortfall. Penland versus Pennez. <laughs> <laughs> Rafa, can you confirm? Did Lewandowski ever have a ponytail? He didn't. Uh... From everything I've seen from him, okay, including th- some childhood th- photos, I okay. don't think he's ever had long hair at all. I think I'm getting confused with Furio out of The Sopranos, with whom mm. he bears a remarkable physiological, no, physiognomical resemblance. Uh, I'll move on. At least once uh, Rafa has given us the verdict on Sadio Mane to Bayern, will that happen? It is very likely to happen, James. It's mm. not contingent on Lewandowski leaving. It's independent of that. Uh, Bayern, I think, have been slightly opt- opportunistic in in approaching Mane when his future was still yet to be decided. And I think Liverpool's attention has been elsewhere. And I think him coming in will make it easier for Bayern to sell because they can pretend that a replacement has been found, an alternative has been found, even though he's a very different player and might not even play through the middle. Mm. But it's not a foregone conclusion 
that Mane's money arriving will definitely mean that Lewandowski is going out. The Barcelona still have to pay a lot more money, and if they don't, it might be easier for Lewandowski to to move next uh, next summer on a free. But of course, that comes with the risk that Barcelona might not be interested anymore at that point. All right. So money to Bayern depends on Bayern selling and money going out to bring money in, or something like that. Correct. Almost. Okay. Uh, good. Burnt Leno, is he off to Fulham? I don't know, says Rafa, with that gesture, beloved of Europeans. Uh, Aurelien Schumani, he is going uh, to Real Madrid from Monaco. And how big is that, Tom, for an already beefy-looking midfield for the European champions? Yeah, well, it gives Real Madrid an incredible array of options. And again, perhaps comparable to Liverpool's forward line, um, you know, that, that Real Madrid midfield of Cruz, Modric and Casemiro, which has swept them to all the European Cups they've won in, in recent years, will need rejuvenating at some point. But they've already got Valverde, they've already got Eduardo Camavinga, and they've now got Aurelien Chouameni. Um And, you know, that, that could be their midfield. Certainly, you know, Camavinga and Chouameni, you look at their age profiles, that could be their midfield for the next the next 10 years and will probably be France's first-choice midfield before too long. Um, so, yeah, uh, I suppose the interesting thing will be to see how much playing time Chouameni gets. I mean, he's I think he's good enough to slot straight into the midfield. But, you know, given everything that, 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 that Modric, Cruz and Casemiro have won in recent years, um, you know, it, it won't be easy to, to dislodge them. Um, but yeah, hopefully he um, hopefully he, he finds his feet quickly because he's a really really exceptional player. Um, and uh, yeah, I think he'll I think he'll bring them along. Uh, Chiomeni going to Real Madrid is very good news for all Premier League clubs, not called Manchester City and Liverpool, because those two were very very close to bringing him in. Uh, back in March, uh, there was an anticipation that uh, Liverpool had just pulled ahead and were very close to agreeing a deal. But then um, things got complicated after the whole Mbappe saga where Real Madrid suddenly decided that he's going to be the tonic for their hurt feelings. And then PSG, as my understanding, got involved because they wanted to thwart Real Madrid uh, for perhaps slightly political reasons uh, and doubled down on their efforts uh, of keeping another exciting Frenchman in France. But no, it is Real Madrid and... uh, I guess it is our our loss in their game because we won't see him quite as much as we could have if hmm. he'd uh, played over here. Indeed so. Indeed so. All right. Well, that, that's been a rip-roaring ride through some of the things that have happened and some that plainly haven't in the two weeks since our last show. But before we go, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, Tom Williams, about the big PSG signing that we're all a gagging for and that's who's going to take over from Maurizio Pochettino who's still not actually been fired yet or has he? He has. He he ha- Well he hasn't they haven't announced his dismissal right. but the indications are that uh, you know an agreement has been reached and this has been coming for months I mean it was on the cards even even last summer, um, mm. so at some point in in the next few days or weeks, you know that there'll be an announcement, and he will he'll be on his way. Um, and and the two names who are being cited the most frequently as his uh, potential successor are Zinedine Zidane uh, and Christophe Galtier. Um, and the suggestion is that Zidane would be uh, Doha's choice. That that PSG's decision makers in Qatar, like the idea of Zidane coming in um, and Emmanuel Macron 
somewhat randomly has 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 given that his uh, approval despite uh, being a you know a politician and be a Marseille fan but then Christophe Galtier would be the choice of Luis Campos who last week was officially announced as PSG's new sporting advisor basically taking over from outgoing sporting director uh, Leonardo albeit not working quite in as closely uh, to the club as, as Leonardo did um, and it's yeah I mean I I, I think it will be interesting to see which way it goes. I mean, I, I, I suspect it's it's much more probable that that they go for 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 Galtier than than uh, than Zidane. Um, but there is there's been a lot of talk uh, recently about the need to kind of put football back at the centre of the project and and to have some kind of more coherent sporting project in place. And and that is the thinking behind bringing in Luis Campos. So if the first thing that happens after his appointment is that his preferred choice of coach is basically um, turned down because it's not a big enough name, that mm. won't be. The, the the clearest indication that PSG have, have learned some of their lessons. Goalsy would like be an interesting. Manchester United or anything. Well, I mean, yeah, um, but I mean, Goalsy would be an interesting one in that he's like he's a fantastic coach. Um, he is a, a great communicator. Um, his teams play a very compact, uh, sort of counter attacking football. He's not an obvious. He's not an obvious fit for this PSG team um, in that, you know, he, he's not about sort of spectacular, you know, passing football. But he is at least a man with a plan. Um, and yeah, I guess they thought Pochettino was a man with a plan. And, and, and as it turned out, that plan was not compatible with the, the PSG plan of, well, let's just sign like the 10 most famous players we can think of. And, you know, good luck. So, um, yeah, that's that's where things stand at the moment. But it, yeah, it, it does look as if things are sort of inching towards towards Galtier being um, being appointed at PSG. Exciting. Thank you. All right. Well, that's how things stand in football. Uh, we've got games coming up Monday and Tuesday in the World Cup qualifying playoffs in the Nations League as well. Duncan, what are you most looking forward to in the next few days? Any Wickham-related transfer news? No, I don't know, actually. It's quite, I think, it's a bit, I mean, obviously we saw a rash of last week, a lot of, you know, this is the day the World Cup should have started, you know, mm. World Cup content. And it does feel like a very empty June somehow. So I guess I'm going to have to double down on Peru and Costa Rica. Right. Or Australia As and the catchphrase goes. Yeah, <laughs> other choices are available. Other choices are available. An empty June, unless you're listening to the Totally Football Show, which will be with you Monday and Thursday, like it or not. So do join us on Thursday with the definitive verdict from England's goalless draw with Hungary and whatever else happens in the next few days. For now, can I voice for you, listener, your thanks to Raphael Honigstein, Tom Williams, Duncan Alexander and producer Charlie for making today's show happen. Have a splendid time until we see you all again. And from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.